Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. And we taught down through verse uh, in chapter 2, verse 12. We taught through verse 12. We'll pick up with 1 Peter 2, verse 13. On Sunday evenings, we just try to teach you verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right on through the lesson or the book that we're teaching. So I want you to look at verse 13. It says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You know, laws that are right for us to obey, we're to obey them not especially because that we always have committed some crime or something of that nature, but we're to be obedient to the laws of the land because God has established government. And sometimes there are laws that are made contrary to uh, the Bible. And then, of course, as Peter, remember, Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man. When they would forbid him to preach the gospel and would not, not let him speak out and give witness of uh, Christ's uh, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. Turn to the book of Acts, if you will, chapter uh, 5, I believe it is. Let's see if I can find it quickly. Acts chapter uh, 5, and remember they had uh, thrown uh, Peter in prison because he was preaching. Let's see verse 25, Acts 5 verse 25, it says, Then then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and preaching and teaching the people. Uh, then went the captain and with the officers and brought them without, vi- without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And so he goes on and preaches, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. This is exactly what he was put in prison for put him in the common prison because he is preaching Christ, and God uh, delivered them from the prison. And, of course, uh, he went ahead and stood up for what was right in spite of the fact that they, uh, they had forbidden him to do this. Now, we are told in the book of uh, Romans, chapter 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So that means that we're to be subject to the higher powers or government and law enforcement as long as it does not, in the case of that we referred to Peter's incident, interfere with our freedom as a Christian. And so the laws of the land are to be obeyed, and the officers are to be respected, the, uh, the magistrates of every sort. It says in verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist, risk, shall receive to themselves a damnation, that is, judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. Now look, he may not even be a Christian, but he is the minister of God in the sense that God has ordained uh, federal and state and 
county and city governments, in other words, the powers that be, and in our nation we know it starts with the federal government on down, in other nations the government forms and, and uh, types are different. But we know that as far as our country is concerned, we're to even obey the local magistrates as well as the county and the state and the federal government. And so here it says, He is the minister of God to thee for good. That doesn't mean, as I say, that he might, these people, that there may be some that are Christians and there may be others. That's not even the point. The point is that God has ordained this that we should follow. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Therefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. In other words, for the Lord. Uh, I'll get back to that place in Peter where we're studying where it says, for the Lord, for the Lord's sake, because the Lord would have us to obey. For for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So we're told there, now back in Peter, we're told there very much of what Peter is saying. And let's go ahead and read what Peter says. First Peter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. Now, you want to point out in verse 13, for the Lord's sake, and in verse 15, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, what does that mean? You know, there... There would be nothing better uh, for the unsaved person. He would like nothing better than to point to you and I and say, oh, look, he's broken the law. He's a criminal. He's, he, he tries to resist the, the government. He doesn't even obey uh, the laws of the land. And the unsaved person can use that for an excuse and say, they're not good citizens. And so I believe that Christians, really, if we're taught in the Word, uh, Christian people make the best citizens there are because we're mindful of the fact that, that God has set this in, in order that we be obedient to the laws of the land. Now look, in verse uh, 16, as free and not using your liberty, we're free as Christians, are but not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Look here. Free and servants, both in one in one verse. Can you imagine a servant being free? Servants used very strongly as uh, servants to masters, really slaves, as those that were in bondage to serve their masters in the days of the apostles. There were many in such cases that they were to be obedient servants to their earthly masters. And sometimes the masters were cruel, sometimes they were were good to them. We have instance, the book of Philemon is, uh, tells about that situation, uh, where there's goodness or there can be evil treatment to a servant, to a slave. But what we're saying here is that God sees the whole thing. And he says, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. 
Now we're free as Christians, and we're but we're servants of God, and then we as at the same time may be servants of men while we're servants of God. We're going to see how that reacts, or what action we're to take there. Now look at it. Uh, honor all men. We'll get down to it. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Honor all men. That is, give respect to governors, to leaders, to those in authority, to those in places of, of respect and responsibility. Give due uh, tribute to where tribute is due, honor to, where, uh, to whom honor. And uh, then it says, love the brotherhood. This is the family of God. Love as Christian brothers. He says, fear God. That means to reverence God. To, it doesn't mean to be afraid of God, that he's like a big, angry a person or a bully that's going to beat us over the head with a club and be afraid of him. No. Fear him as God is holy and righteous and true and pure and stand in awe in the presence of a holy God. It reminds me of Isaiah when he said he saw uh, also the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died, high and lifted up, and his train filled his temple, and the seraphims were crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of thy glory. And he fell down, didn't he? And they touched his lips with the coals. When he saw this vision of God's glory, he said, Woe is me. Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah one that was preaching the word and prophesying. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The closer vision we get of God, the more we'll fear God or stand in awe of His presence. You know, I'm afraid a lot of times that we're not mindful of the fact we come into the presence of God so abruptly, don't we? Especially in prayer. We just stop. But we ought to... You know, it wouldn't hurt once in a while for us to just stop a moment and collect our thoughts and realize what we're really doing. Realize that we're coming into the presence of a holy, righteous God, of the Almighty, of the All-Powerful, the one that made the heavens and the earth, the one that has made man, the one that has created all things, the one uh, that we should uh, bow down before and recognize him as the all-supreme, and not only God the Father, but his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He humbled himself before God, and we're to humble ourselves before God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when the Spirit's presence, when we... Recognize the Holy Spirit's presence. We ought to stand in awe. I've been in services, and you have too, where we stand in awe at the presence and the, and the moving of God's Holy Spirit. And uh, we should realize His presence in incidents like that, in situations like that. Sometimes it's much more evident than at other times. But let's remember, Jesus has promised... Have you thought of this tonight? He said, we're two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. See, sometimes we just take it for granted that we're meeting here, we're worshiping God, but Jesus has promised to be here. He's present. He's, he's present in spirit in our hearts. He's present in the midst of the church. You see him in Revelation walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. In every one of those churches, though they were a hundred miles apart, 
when they were all meeting, they all may have been meeting at the same time, but at different places, he was in the midst of every one of them because he is, he is everywhere present. And uh, we know that as far as a locality, Jesus has gone into heaven. But as far as God, he is uh, omnipresent. He can be everywhere. And uh, let's look at this. It says, Fear God. Honor the king. Now back to this servant business in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Now these were servants that were under in servitude or slaves of masters that had them uh, to do their work, and uh, they, the servants were obligated. Uh, they may have had to serve them for years. In the days of the old, the Israelites sometimes were servants to those that had the mastery over them because of indebtedness or various reasons, and for a period of seven years at a time. And you can go back and re- uh, read in uh, the laws in the book of Exodus and uh, the, the situations that arose where they were to serve their time out and then they would be set free. And so that they had these things still carried on, some legitimately and others because of advantage in the days of the apostles. Some may have just taken people to be servants and held a, a, a hard hand over them and and, and caused them to be servants because they would oppress them. See? And others, they were legally, duly bound to serve. But whatever the situation, notice how we're to handle it. So servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle. There were some, some masters that were good to their servants, right? But it says, but also to the forward. The forward means the crooked or the perverse or the... Or the the ones that were uh, mean, but also to the forward. Why would a servant be told, why would Peter give this kind of instruction to serve even those that were, that were mean? Because this would be the will of God. Look, in verse 19, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Now, if you uh, suffer wrongfully, and if you endure grief, and this is thankworthy if you do this because you want to live the right kind of life, and you want to be a testimony, and you want to do what God, God's will is for your life. Now, we can be thankful in our day and time that a great deal of this is not uh, put upon us. But let's put it down as far as uh, employers and employees. In a small degree, the same rules would apply. What I'm saying is, if, you have a, if you're working for a man that is, uh, that is mean, you're still obligated, if you're going to hire out to that person, you're still obligated to do what he tells you to do. If you're working for a man that's a good uh, boss, we'll use that term, well then, you know, it's, it's fine. You can have a good relationship and you can go ahead and do things and maybe you're more at ease in working for that kind of person. And you know, it would be wonderful if we had Christian masters today, wouldn't we? Bosses that would treat their people right. It reminds me, turn back to the book of Ruth, if you will. Joshua judges Ruth. Now look, I want to show you something. It reminds me of old Boaz. Boaz, when he came into the fields... If I can find it quickly. Mm. Now then. Okay. Let's look in uh, 
I was looking where he comes in and greets his uh, his people. Anybody see it? Come to Bethlehem, chapter two, verse four. Okay. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Yeah, this is what I want to say. Boaz, this great mighty man, says, came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. Look, and they answered him, The Lord bless thee. That's the verse I want. Isn't that something? If you'd come in to, to, to your boss on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, and he'd say, The Lord be with you. And they'd say, The Lord bless thee. In other words, that have a Christian relationship. And this is the, this is the situation with Boaz. And so there is such thing as those that will treat you right and, and, uh, and respect you as an individual. Even though you're hired out to them, they will treat you properly and uh, with, with dignity. All right, let's turn back to 1 Peter, if you will. Thank you for giving me that reference. Sometimes you see things and you can't get your eyes fixed on the very verse. And I, I knew it was in that second chapter somewhere. But anyway, let's look at this. 1 Peter chapter 2. We got down to verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God. Now, this is the thing that really matters. Conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Look at verse 20. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? If you have, in other words, if you've done something wrong and you be buffeted for that, and you take it patiently. What glory is that? You had it coming, didn't you? There's, there's, no, there's no, uh, nothing to be thankful for if I have done something wrong and I have to be rebuked for that. And you take it patiently. What glory is it? Well, uh, not very much because you might say we had it coming to us. But look at this, the last part. That is, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. In other words, if you have a, a marginal reference, it will say thank. This is thankful. This should be bring thanksgiving to you because God is pleased with it. This will bless God. This is uh, for God's uh, glory that you take it patiently. For even here and were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, Christ gave us the perfect example of suffering when, uh, when uh, something would happen that, he, that it was not justified to come upon him. We know nothing of evil was justified to be put upon Christ. No amount of suffering. And yet he suffered. Now then, before we study verses 21 through 25, I want to give you something. Let's first of all realize the relationship in which we're studying these last verses of this uh, chapter. Verses 21 through 25. Look at verse 25 first. Down at verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. First of all, you see sheep and a shepherd here. And so, in keeping uh, these last verses in mind, let's realize that we're the sheep of his pasture, and he is to us a shepherd. Now, remember... Earlier, uh, in the first chapter, if you look back in the first chapter, verse 19, it says, Christ, with the, with, but with the precious blood of Christ, this is your redemption, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. There he's seen as a lamb, right? But in the second chapter, he's seen as a shepherd, right? 
In the first chapter, he is seen as a suffering lamb for our sins, bearing our sins, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But here, he's seen as the shepherd and the bishop of our soul in 1 Peter 2, verse 25. So we have to realize the relationship that we're studying now. And we're going to give you five things about this shepherd this evening. First of all, he is the suffering shepherd, verse 21. He's the suffering shepherd. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Christ suffering. Did you know Jesus suffered everything as a man that the curse of sin, that man's fall, brought upon us to suffer? You see, there would be no suffering apart from the fall. Adam, in his original state, would have had no suffering. There would have been no sorrow. There would have been no pain. There would have been nothing harmful or nothing hurtful. As Nancy was singing this evening, I was told, says um, by one professor one time, she's singing that verse, uh, speaks in the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing. But let me give you something. I was told, and I don't know, I'm not that much in music, but that birds sing in a minor key. You know, that's kind of a sad note in a sense. We love to hear the birds sing, don't we, and chirp and make their melodies, and but it's all in a minor key. And the beautiful roses, you reach in to get one, it has thorns on that. Wouldn't it be nice to reach in and get a beautiful red rose and no thorns to puncture your hand? You see... All of these bad things, all of the, of the things that harm us and the things that are not favorable to the happiness of mankind came about because of the fall. The ground is cursed. It brings forth thorns and thistles. Can you imagine what a garden would be like uh, in Adam's day with no thorns, no weeds? He didn't even have to hold the weeds, did he? They're all out there, just good. Nothing but the fruit, nothing but the good planted seed would grow. And so Jesus took everything that the curse brought upon himself. And he suffered for it because he suffered uh, leaving us an example. Now, his sufferings, the curse of, and the sorrows that he bore in life was not substitutionary. It was his death on the cross that was substitutionary. He suffered these things as a man so it would prove that he was capable and able to be our great and merciful high priest and that he could succor us who are tempted, that he could sympathize with us. That's the, the, uh, the emphasis of his suffering in life. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You go back in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Let's see if we have time. Genesis 3, and you'll find that the result of the curse was pain, there was bruising in verse 15 spoken of. The Bible says he was bruised in Isaiah 55. He was bruised for our iniquity. Let me just give you seven things here. He was bruised for our iniquity. Hold your place in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15. Notice it says, Bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Bruising or pain as a result of what? The fall. In verse uh, uh, 16, there's sorrow. And there's subjection. He bore sorrow. He, made, he subjected himself. He became obedient to the cross, didn't he? 
and there was sorrow. He's borne our sorrows and carried our griefs, as it says in Isaiah 53, verse 3. The curse, he bore the curse. Look, it says in verse 17, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In Galatians 3, verse 13, it says that Cursed is everyone that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. In verse 18, you have thorns. What about the thorns? Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth. What did Jesus bear as far as thorns? He was crowned with a crown of thorns. The very symbol of the curse was placed upon Christ's head. And so he was so associated with man's uh, fall and sinfulness, even before he died on the cross, they crowned him before he went to the cross, he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. We'll get to that verse in a minute in First Peter. But what I'm saying is, before he got there, he still was man and could suffer the things that the curse brought. In fact, uh, in verse 19 it says, In the sweat of thy face, look here, you have sweat, thou shalt eat bread. And the Bible tells us in Luke 22, verse 44, that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Uh, I didn't give you the, that one on thorns. John 19, verses 1 through 5 is thorns. Matthew 27, 29, they crowned him with a crown of thorns. And then there's death. Look, in verse 19, For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return, it said to Adam. That's death. Came out of the dust, he would return to the dust. And so that's death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Philippians 2, verse 8, He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So all of the things of the curse, Jesus took upon himself. First Peter chapter 2 now. We see him as the suffering shepherd. Look in verse 22 now. We see him as the sinless shepherd. Yeah, have 1 Peter 2, verse 22. It says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He did no sin. Paul says he knew no sin. John says, In him was no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. So he's the sinless shepherd. No one, he says, Which of you convinceth me of sin? Pilate's wife came forth and said, Have nothing, nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered many things this night in a dream because of him. The centurion, after Christ died on the cross, he says, Truly, this was a righteous man. This is the Son of God. And so we find that uh, he was sinless. In verse 23, he is the submissive shepherd. So let me cap it off now. Let me give you these again. Verse 21, he's the suffering shepherd. Verse 22, he's the sinless shepherd. Verse 23, he's the submissive shepherd. Let's look at the submissive. It says, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Think of that for a moment. When Christ was reviled, he reviled not again. When you and I are reviled, we, we speak back, don't we? We just can't stand it until we tell someone off. Or till we get even, so to speak. But when he was reviled, he reviled out again. Let me give you a reference that will help. Turn to Romans chapter 15. But it says in verse 2, Let every one of us 
please his neighbor for his good to edification. Romans 15.2 For even Christ pleased not himself. Look at this. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. See, the reproaches that fell upon, that reproached God, Jesus says they fell on me. He let them fall on him. Now then, that, that ties in with what Peter says, doesn't it? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. And it says we ought not to try to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor for his good to edification. And we get the example again from Christ. All right, back in First Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He didn't threaten to take revenge or anything. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He says, I want to do, I'll put myself in the hands of God. Now, you know, you and I have a hard time doing some of these things, don't we? We have a hard time because the flesh gets in the way. Sometimes I just have a hard time of not speaking back. Occasionally I can do it. I give myself a mark when I can, you know. But usually it's hard for us, isn't it? to just keep our mouth shut when someone says something against us. We know it's false. We know, know it's uh, undue, un, unjust and undue criticism or whatever it is, or accusation, right? But sometimes it's better for us just to, just to be quiet about it. Usually those things have a way of working out uh, in due time. But um, it's hard for us to do. Because we're all human. We let the flesh and self get in the way. But we do have a pattern, the blueprint, don't we? If you're going to follow a blueprint, let's go back and not follow Paul or Peter or John. They were good examples, all right. And they were told to be examples. And uh, Paul says, as I follow Christ, I want, he says, be followers of me as I follow the Lord. But, you know, if you type something out on a piece of paper here and you have three or four carbons under there, look at it now. You have a typewriter, and you type them out, and you have about three carbon copies. Okay? When you start to type that again, do you get that dullest and that, that most uh, faint and less visible copy to try to redo that? No, you get that original, don't you? That one that you can see clearly and blame it. So we have the original. Let's go back to Jesus. And he will teach us uh, the things that Peter and James and John and all the others tried to do and did to a certain degree, and sometimes almost without exception, they did follow the Lord. But we find that they were still men, too. Remember, uh, Paul had to rebuke Peter for being kind of hypocritical about the Jews when they came in. In the book of Galatians, he says, Peter, he says, you had it coming to you when you, when you were, when the Gentiles were not there, says, uh, I mean, when the Jews were not there, you, uh, ate with the Gentiles and you treated them as uh, believers and then when the, when the Jews came along well you you had to change your tactics and Paul withstood him to the face we find that Paul and Barnabas had, a, had their differences over John Mark you see and later on Paul says but he took John Mark back and he says he was, he was good he's good for me in the ministry you see all of us have mistakes and can make mistakes and there are no perfect men. There's never been but one perfect man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and you can search the world over and you'll never find a perfect church. Someone says, when I find a perfect church, I'm going to join it. You'll never join while you're here. Because if they got, if he got in it, if that fellow is going to join, that'd make it imperfect, wouldn't it? <laughs> because the very fact he got in there, you know, uh, we are imperfect and we need the Lord to follow his example. Now let's look in verse 24. We're going to see the substitutionary shepherd. It says, To his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Now I want us to get this because it's very important. Christ suffered in life, but this was not substitutionary. He suffered in life in many ways and, and, and had things happen to him, but all of this suffering in life was not the substitutionary suffering. This was that he suffered in order to be able to, to take upon him uh, man's feelings and sympathize with us because he had to endure them physically and literally. It says that he's made the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings. Christ was always perfect, but he was perfected through sufferings in the book of Hebrews. Perfect through sufferings in the sense that whenever we suffer, and we bring it to the throne of grace, he fully understands we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See? He is able to succor them that are tempted. And the sufferings of life were for that reason. But here, look at verse 24. This is substitutionary sufferings on the cross for our salvation. He, be, he bore our sins and bearing our sins to his own self. Look at it. Bear our sins in his own body on the tree. On the tree. That's very important. It was on the cross where he bore our sins. And that's very important to see that his death is what was substitutionary. And uh, let's go on and find it. It says um, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Look at that. Look at this quick, quickly. That we being dead to sins. How is it that we're dead to sins? If he died for our sins, then we're dead to sins. Uh, if you turn back to the book of Romans, chapter 6, it says in verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, in other words, we've accepted Christ as our Savior who died for us, Romans 6, verse 8, For if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing uh, that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Now look, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in, the, in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. See, because Christ is dead unto sin, and we've accepted him, then we're dead indeed unto sin. You say, well, uh, what about uh, the sins that I commit? If I'm dead to sin, how is it that I'm still living and I can commit sin? It means as far as the penalty of sin is concerned, and as far as the power of sin, to keep you under its dominion. As a Christian, you do not have to let sin have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. Now then, Sin may upset you in your life, but it cannot uh, dominate you. It cannot have dominion over you. Now, if you're a born-again child of God, I'm sure all of us are troubled with sin. You know, we have the sin of speaking the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. We have the sin of sometimes doing the wrong thing or acting uh, in, in, the, in the wrong way towards someone. 
the world, the flesh, and the devil all give us trouble. But we find that sin shall not have dominion over you. It says, Likewise, reckon yourself, count yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That, that whole passage, and we could go on and on, we'd be teaching. Uh, well, let's go on. It says in verse 14, uh, verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid! Know ye not uh, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are ye, are, ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. <coughs> the whole chapter is good, and you can read the rest of it. But you have been made free from sin. How is it that you were made free? Because Jesus made you free. He died for your sins on the cross. And he set you free from the penalty of sin. And he also set you free from the power of sin, at least to this point that you can turn to him and find cleansing and find help to deal with the sins that, that you commit day by day. And you can be cleansed. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the daily cleansing is what the Christian needs. We need daily cleansing. Every day, every day, it doesn't hurt to go every day. You know, a lot of folks say, Well, I'm not going to take a bath but once every two weeks. Well, you know, it gets smelling a little bad when you do that. Take one every day, you might. Wash your feet, you know, every day. You, you get contaminated going through the, this world, and that's what Jesus was talking about when he says you wash one another's feet. And he says, I've washed your feet. And he says, he that is clean needeth not saved but to wash his feet. He's clean everywhere. So he needs daily cleansing. Now quickly, we'll give you this last one. Our time is up. Verse 25. Well, verse 24. I wanted to touch on this before we close. It won't take but a second here. It says, by whose stripes you, are, you were healed. Now then, a lot of people take that to mean that because of Christ's death on the cross, that you can claim uh, instant healing on the same basis that you could claim instant salvation. That's not true. In other words, I want to show you something. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, it says, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. See that? So in Christ healing those that were sick, what he was doing, he was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah that, that he was concerned about our sicknesses, and that he had power to heal those. But when he died on the cross, he didn't promise healing on the same basis. In other words, uh, when he healed with a word or a touch, he was taking our infirmities, and he was bearing our sicknesses. 
And when he heals today, he's taking our infirmities and bearing our sicknesses. But it does not mean that immediate physical healing is uh, secured to us in the atonement. Now, there have been some that have made that mistake. All right, let me, let me give you some. Suppose you're, you're, you're a person, you claim healing but because of Christ's suffering on the cross. And you say, well, he died on the cross, and therefore I can claim healing. Okay? And you ask the Lord to heal you, and you're still sick, and you don't get healed. How do you know then, if you ask the Lord to save you, that he saved you? You see, salvation is guaranteed by the death of the cross. But healing is not guaranteed on the same basis. Now, God hears the prayers of his children. Jesus is still sympathetic toward our, our infirmities, our needs, and our physical ailments. And in answer to prayer, and when we come to him, and if it's his will that he heals us, he will. But it's not always for our good that certain healings come to our bodies and our lives. And besides that, there's a greater healing that's in, uh, involved than just the physical healing. The spiritual maladies of man. He heals us spiritually when he saves us. And so we're completely made whole as far as our spiritual being is concerned. We're saved completely and totally. Now then, uh, I won't have enough time to say all I should about that, but I wanted to touch on it because a lot of people are, are fooled by that and they say, well, Jesus died. Uh, you, you've heard many preachers on the radio and television say, Jesus uh, provided for healing on the cross. He was doing this healing in the book of Matthew where it says it was fulfilled the prophet Isaiah. He was doing this before the cross, right? And he was already doing this. And then it was already being fulfilled. What was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet? He himself took our infirmities by our sicknesses. By his healing and his presence and his power then and there. And he's the same Jesus today on the right hand of God. And he still has the same sympathies and concerns with man's needs. But he has not guaranteed our physical healing on the same basis uh, as he has guaranteed our salvation through the atoning work that he had performed on the cross of Calvary. He died to save us, period. He didn't die to deliver us from every trial, from every rough spot in life, but we can pray to him and find deliverance in some of these situations. Because he says that we threw much tribulation. Why didn't he die for all of our uh, sorrows and tribulations and trials? It says, we through much tribulation should enter the kingdom of God. And this is to be expected. And some of the sicknesses that we have are to be expected. And so I want to get that record straight. Look at verse 25. For you were as sheep going astray that are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This is the seeking shepherd in verse 25. The seeking shepherd. He seeks the lost sheep that has gone astray. Leaves the ninety-nine in the fold. Goes after that one which is lost and brings him back to the fold. And he's the shepherd and bishop means the overseer. He is the main bishop, the only bishop. He is the one that receives this title, the bishop of your souls. Not a preacher. We're bishops and deacons and elders, preachers and etc. But listen, he is the one that has the full title. And no, no uh, priest, no preacher, and no pope can duly carry that title. Uh, in this world and in this life. He is the one and only bishop of our souls. So we need to turn to Christ and, 
and look at him in all these aspects. He's the suffering shepherd, verse 21, the sinless shepherd, verse 22, the submissive shepherd, verse 23, the substitutionary shepherd, verse 24, and the seeking shepherd, verse 25. Thank you. Let's stand together for prayer.